Hey everyone. Good evening. We are Tulsa Music Stream and it is episode, I believe, 53. 53. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so indeed. if you're listening on Facebook, make sure you uh, you know follow our stream, our Tulsa Music Stream page. And we also have a group in Facebook, it's Tulsa Music Stream group. Also on YouTube, you can hit subscribe and uh, hit that little notification bell. That way, when we go live, you will be notified as well as we are live on Twitter and Twitch as we speak. And so tonight, this lovely Thursday, it is March 3rd. Mm -hmm. Already. Um, We are going to have the uh, American music historian Eddie Trunk. He is uh, on Sirius Radio. He's all over the place. (laughs) Busy guy. Busy guy. Super busy. We'll be having him on Zoom here real shortly. And I just want to introduce everyone to you. This is... Jana and that is Teresa. Yep, we're missing nine tonight. He started a new job this week and hours are a little bit different, so we had to sit this one out. But we're thinking about you and missing you. Wish you were here. We'll catch you on the next episode. Like Scott said, we got Eddie Trunk coming up in moments. How you doing, Teresa? I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Great. Thank you for being here tonight, Absolutely. joining us. Wouldn't miss it. She keeps it us in line, guys. She keeps she, it real. She keeps that whiteboard going with all the uh all the people that are in the chat room so we know who all's watching and we appreciate all your support yep get your questions ready for eddie and we'll try to uh ask him some questions that would be helpful you guys go ahead and banter a minute i'm going to get everything set up uh he's uh he's very professional so i know i know he is going to be here on time so give me just a minute to get everything all dialed in yeah so um you know eddie's done a lot of Tulsa, you know, shows like IDL Ballroom. He's done Rocklahoma's. You know, he's all over the place. He does all these festivals. So, you know, he's no stranger to Tulsa, and it's basically another home for him. You know, it's amazing how you can go as a radio personality, you know, in New Jersey or New York, and then all of a sudden you're just like everywhere touring the United States, and basically you have a web page with all of your 
shows and stuff where you're going to be at. Mm-hmm. And, and it's basically like a one-man band for this guy. And it's, it's pretty amazing. He is. Know. He is quite amazing. And, what's, and what I want to get into with him uh, that he's so good at, and, and as we've done this, and we've kind of started figuring a few things out about it, I think what makes people like him so good is that when he talks to his guests, it's like a conversation. It's not like a sterile interview where you can tell the person's just reading off of the, uh, you know, off the Wikipedia page and asking all the standard questions. If you can get to the point where you're comfortable and, and it's just like, you're just sitting there talking to a friend. I think that's what really engages the the viewer Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, makes them feel like they're a fly on the wall watching a, a private conversation. And, and I know that when we watch other podcasts, the ones that are really good, are like that and certainly Eddie Trunk's interviews with all of the artists he talks to yeah are just like that it's like a conversation between friends so and we'll talk to him about him um, coming to host the Megadeth concert in the BOK Center as well as Poison at the BOK and of course Rocklahoma definitely he is getting ready to come in the room as we speak so I'm going to get this all set up thanks Dustin Little Phil Bell Jr. Todd Melanie Travis Arnold Tim Hewitt Rick Lytle, Little, Little, I think. Mario, uh, Christy Lee, Angie Kay, Jamie Hooper's great song. That was uh, the intro song was Jamie and yeah. uh, Denise Dossing, Tracy Long, Doug Weber, and Mama Gay. Great job. We do have Eddie on here. Eddie, can you hear us okay? I can hear you. Fantastic. I'm going to put you on screen right here. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. You have to be one of the busiest men in the world. We appreciate you carving out some time to spend with us here uh first things first we're going to get into several different topics with you but i thought it would be nice to start uh with some with some comments from you about johnny z i'm going to put his picture up here on the screen now for those watching tonight who may not know john zazula was a very integral integral part of heavy metal thrash metal in particular not only was he integral in that field, but Eddie, we know he was a big part of your life starting out in this career that you have now. Why don't you share some of your favorite thoughts about Johnny Z with us? Well, before we get into it, let me just tell you, if people hear weird noises in the background, I'm at my home in Vegas and I have somebody here doing some work at the moment. So if you hear any drilling noises, it's just stuff being put up on the wall. So I apologize in advance. Not a problem. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Johnny was a... Uh, a big part of my story, I was uh, a young kid who was going to his store. He had a record store in New Jersey called Rock and Roll Heaven. And I would go there and buy records from him all the time. And uh, he had all these cool imports and things like that that I would get. And one one of these imports that I bought one day, he said to me, he goes, you know, you really should be playing this stuff on the radio. And then I ended up getting a radio show right out of high school. And I started playing this music. And then one day he knocked on my door, literally at the radio station in my earliest years of, of doing radio and said, hey, will you um, play this band? And I'm like, what are you talking about? What band? Leave it and I'll think about it. He goes, no, I'm not leaving till you play this band. And that band was Metallica a band that he could not get anybody to play on the radio that nobody had ever heard of that was brand new at the time. And uh, I didn't know what I heard at that time, but I was like, you know what? I'm willing to check it out. I'm willing to give it a shot. And I did. And when he left that day, he had said to me, if I can get this band to happen and I can get 
them going, I'm going to hire you to work for my record company one day. Wow. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like that's ever going to happen. <laughs> and sure enough, it did. And he made good on his word in 86 and he hired me to work for his label. And I eventually became vice president of the company and signed some bands myself. And um, he was a real character. He's a real interesting guy. It's really sad that we lost him. Mm -hmm. I was in touch with him. Had him on my radio show recently for his book, which came out a couple of years ago. Sadly, his wife, who was a big part of Megaforce, passed away uh, about a year before him. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seemed like he had really was was doing well in recent years. So I was really sad and surprised to have heard that he passed away. But he was really a guy that in a lot of ways was an architect for what is now considered thrash metal. I mean, he was at the forefront of it and he was a huge, huge part of Metallica's story and Anthrax's story and Testament and King's X and Overkill and many other bands. And um, again, a really cool guy, very, uh, very lovable guy and a very you know interesting guy. What I'll let you in on something that people don't know about Johnny being this guy who's like such a, a godfather of thrash. His favorite band was the Grateful Dead. Oh, oh wow! wow. No not what people would not what people would expect, but that was his thing. That's amazing. And you played a, an important role uh, with Johnny and um, Megaforce for Ace Frehley. Am, am I correct on that? You kind of helped him help the talk to him getting uh, Ace on the label. Here's a picture right here. Yeah, well, there's the photo. That's me at around twenty two, maybe twenty two years old, and that's me uh, obviously on the looking at it straight on in the far right and next to me in that blue sweater is Johnny's wife, Marsha, and mm -hmm. there's Ace and then Johnny Z. And then the man in the suit is our lawyer for the label at the time. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was always a big Kiss fan growing up. And I said to John, when I started working with him, I said, you know, it's great that we have all these bands like Anthrax and Overkill and Testament. I said, but I think it'd be really cool if we could get a band on the label that maybe could get some radio airplay mm -hmm. and that we could maybe take to more of the hard rock fans that aren't into the more extreme stuff. Because that was always my thing. I was more into the hard rock side of things. Yeah. So Johnny said to me, what do, you, what do you have in mind? What are you thinking? And I said, well, Ace Frehley's out there. Nobody's even really seen him without makeup. He hasn't done anything since leaving Kiss. He has a huge fan base. I think it'd be really cool if we took a shot at trying to find him. And we tracked him down through the producer, Eddie Kramer, and the interesting thing and where I came into it was it was not only my idea to go after him, but Johnny was not a Kiss fan. Uh, he didn't get it at all. So yeah. he's like, you really think people are going to care about this? And I said, yeah. So I kind of spearheaded the whole thing. And he really left it to me to run with that because it was my, you know, it was, I was, it was an area of strength for me and I was a fan. Mm -hmm. So we had a lunch with Ace and we, we brought him along and ended up signing him. And that, in that photo, that's actually the signing photo of us doing the deal with him for his first ever solo deal after kiss something yeah. I'm really proud of, obviously. And to this sure. day, Ace and I are still friends. That's great. And that was when rock soldiers was born and you basically revived his, basically as his, uh, solo career, yeah. right. You know, brought him back, um, after from being in kiss. So that was really important piece for you to do that. Definitely. Yeah. He had been playing around the New York area, playing some club shows that were really well attended and really good band and but he hadn't put out anything as far as a rec uh, recording and that was that that first record had rock soldiers on it we actually the first single from that record was actually a song called into the night which was the reason we went with that is it was written by russ ballard who's the same guy who wrote ace's biggest hit new york group yeah. so we we're like well maybe we have a shot at getting lightning again here that there's a been there was a lot of 
debate about that at that time because everybody's like rock soldier should have been the first single i remember even gene simmons called our office at the time like you guys blew it it should have been rock soldier oh man <laughs> funny well you, yeah, we, you ended, know we ended up doing rock soldier second of course but um yeah it was uh it was a great great memories from that time you know there's almost 40 years for you you know from radio and and and, and and you're just like all over the place now. I mean, you go to your website and it's basically like tour dates, you know, and has it sunk in like from, for you to like go from go to radio to now all of a sudden you're, you're a personality in this genre and you're invited to all of these places all over, you know, the United States and probably beyond you doing all these festivals, Rocklahoma being one of them as well as all of these uh, monster rock cruises and all these things. Has it sunk in after all these years, how far you have expanded? Uh, you know, I don't really think about it. I, I very much live in the moment. I don't ever, and I've been guilty of this in my career, saying, you know, that phrase, stop and smell the roses, if you will, and mm -hmm. take it all in. I really don't. I, I do something and I just immediately think the next day, what's on to the next, on to the next. Uh, I've always been like that. I mean, even when I was doing that metal show, I, I would watch the one, the episode, the one time we did it to, for notes or to make sure if there's anything needed to be changed. But outside of that, it was like, okay, what are we doing next week? Same with radio, same with all the interviews, all the events, anything that I've been lucky enough to be a part of. It's always just like, do the best I can that day for that moment. And then on to the next thing. So that that's always been how I've been wired. The few times that it's kind of sunk in was, my 25th anniversary in radio, Judas Priest played a private show. My 30th anniversary in radio, Ace Frehley and Peter Chris reunited and played for the first and probably last time together. So there's been really uh, those moments that are like, is this really happening? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, I just kind of always have been focused on the next thing. And I'm super lucky to be aligned with a lot of cool events like Rocklahoma, like the Monsters of Rock Cruise, like many others that I do every year then other things will fall on my radar that I'm lucky enough to be a part of new things come up and, and all of that. And it's just, it's great. You know, I, I went to see, I have a second home now in Vegas where I'm, I'm with today. I'm, I'm from today. And I, I've been working from here and I was here because I went to see Metallica here on Friday. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to know those guys because I was there in the very beginning. So I went to a party afterwards that Lars invited me to, and we were standing around talking, and Metallica had just played to 70,000 people here in Vegas on Jeez. Friday night. Wow. And we were talking, and we're like, did you ever think for a minute, like I was saying this to Lars, I'm like, did you ever think for a minute that you, this band that I saw open for the Rods in a club to no people over 40 years ago, did you ever think that you'd be playing the 70,000 people and still be doing this 40 years later. And he just rolled his eyes and he laughed because he knew I was there from the beginning and he knows how, how crazy that sounds as to what's happening. And it's the same thing like for me when I think about it. I mean, I, I just kid out of high school, total passion for this music, never deviated, never changed course, just kept doing it, still keep doing it. And just, you know, living in the moment and on to the next and look i've worked really hard for what i've built mm -hmm. um i've gotten some breaks along the way that's important too but being consistent and doing the best you can and and becoming i think after next year will be 40 years for me in this business um 
you know, I think after a while, people just realize you're not going away and decide <laughs> to deal with you, you know, and decide they want you around. So that's a good thing. Sure. Hey, while I was pulling up uh, the picture of you and Johnny Z uh, that we just showed where Ace Frehley was getting signed, I found some other old pictures of you. I want to put another fun one up on the screen. This is a very young Eddie Trunk and a very young, gosh, we got Skid Row and we got Ace right there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I started thinking, you know, of course, we're about your age, and we, on this side of things, we all grew up with these guys. They were our heroes in our headphones and our car stereos, you know, who we idolized. But you're literally growing up with them, and, and you're yeah. watching them as their career is starting to bud and take off. And, and of course, you know, we all have watched many a documentary where it's kind of the same same story every time. You know, a lot of them fall into substance abuse or blow through their millions rapidly. Other than those two terrible things, what would you say were some of the most critical errors that you observed those artists make as they were starting to get big and famous? Well, I mean, getting caught up in in the hype, you know, getting kind of full of yourself, if you will. I mean, that's ego, drugs, alcohol, women all the the usual vices that come with rock and roll it's kind of like pick your poison and pick your degree to which one you're going to get involved with right. so they can all become traps but the one you didn't mention i think would be ego i i know a lot of guys that got kind of full of themselves really quickly early on and maybe burned some bridges and alienated some people and they just became you know thought they were too big for the room and then that ends up, you know, coming back and biting you. And then you have to do a lot of uh, recovery to try to get an audience back or get people to really like you a lot or care about you. You know, people love, you know, people love you on the way up, but then they love to cut you down when you get to the top and they love sure. to hate you at, at one point. Um, so I think that that, you know, believing your own press and getting too full of yourself is something that maybe hurt some of these guys at some point that they're still kind of trying to recover from a little bit. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, recently you did an interview with Blackie Lawless of Wasp and they're coming out with their, I believe it's their 40th anniversary tour or something like that. And, you know, Blackie's not an easy guy to get to interview whatsoever. And, and of course you stated that on your, on your interview with him. Um, what was that like getting him in? And, and you're talking about all these things going back in the past, you know, this, this whole tour is supposed to be, you know, bringing back all, you know, all things from the first tour and everything like that. But just to talk to him about all these things, um, I mean, and that had to be like a milestone for you. You know, there's so many guys that just don't want to come out of the, you know, and, and talk, you know, for a while. Yeah, I mean, Blackie and I have always been in touch. Uh, Blackie was one of my first ever radio interviews in my life. With Chris Holmes. Uh, he, with Chris Holmes back when the first record came out. And we've always been in touch, even though we're not, I wouldn't say we're extraordinarily close, but we have a lot of, we have a lot of experiences together. And because it was my first interview and it's like a funny story surrounded that interview that day, but I was just a kid and he was just starting out. So like you said earlier, I kind of came up with all of these guys. And for me, that was, um, uh, you know, I don't push people like th there's a ton of people I have relationships with that go back. I go back with forever and I don't push them like to come on the air with me. I don't push them ever to do interviews. 
So there are people that I'm in touch with and, and talk to or email or text with. And I'm always like, hey, you know, the door's open. If you want to do something, love to have you. I never push the issue. And that's kind of how it's been with Blackie for a long time. He's always just like, yeah, when I'm ready, when I'm ready, uh, you're going to be the guy. We're going to do it. And that's recently when I got hit up. He said, I want to announce this tour and let's go. So um, that's kind of how it works. There, there are people that I'm in touch with every day and people that are regulars on my show, like Frank from Tesla was on today. I mean, he's on constantly with me and I welcome it. I mean, he's one of my favorites, but there's other guys that, uh, are a little more elusive, a little more private. They only want to do stuff if they have something to promote. But that doesn't mean we're not still in touch and just checking in. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? And Blackie would, was one of those guys like that. So I knew, because for, for the last couple of years, we were exchanging some emails about stuff. And I knew that when he was ready and he had something cooking, he was going to come on. And he did. And it was a great chat. And I think people are pretty excited to see him. And I know he's doing Tulsa there. And that's a cool show that you're getting in Tulsa with him because mm -hmm, yeah. that one has uh, Michael Shanker on it. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And Armored Saint because it kind of And Armored back... Saint's doing the whole tour. Yeah, because yeah, they came to the Canes Ballroom when it was, you know, Metallica and Wasp were doing the double headlining thing and then Armored Saint as well. And all three of those bands, you know, I think I was like in seventh grade when that came and, and it was like, whoa, you know, that was just huge. And I, I didn't even know anything about the Canes ballroom. I was too young, but just going to that show. And of course, Wasp didn't show up. It was just Metallica and Armored <laughs> Saint. So it was, an, it was amazing. Stuck with just Metallica, huh, Scott? Right. <laughs> you know, back then I had it? no clue, you know, other than. Right, I know. It was just like, wow, who are these guys? And, and, and that was when hair metal, or I don't, I didn't call it hair metal back then. It was just heavy, heavy rock, heavy metal, whatever. You know, it, there was no hair in anything. It was just, uh, but those were the bands. You know, I want to see Wasp or you know, Shout the Devil Crew. You know, that was that was the time. You know, so sure. Metallica was you know blue jeans and jean jackets and stuff like that, and it just sounded kind of like punk rock to me. I didn't get it, <laughs> and it took me probably. 30 listens to ride the lightning before I go, okay, I get it. You know? So it took me a while. Actually it was master well, of puppets that made me really, really enjoy them. Yeah. I tell people all the time when they ask me what it was like being the first, one of the first people to ever play Metallica on the radio. I'm like, I'd love to sound so smart to be like, I knew they were going to be huge. I didn't, I had no idea what I was hearing. I just was like, when, when Johnny left that day and he's like, if I ever get them to happen, I'm going to hire you. I'm like, yeah, right. Like that band's going to happen. And 40 <laughs> years later, I'm seeing them at you know in Vegas for seventy thousand people. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Hey, our show assistant Teresa has a question for you. I don't know if you're going to be able to see her, but I think you'll be able to hear her. Why don't you go ahead, Teresa? Hi, Eddie. I have um, I have some fans in the chat room for you. And Don Freeman Hosterman wants to know if you're responsible for bringing Tesla to Tulsa. Speaking of Tesla, no, I have nothing no? to do with that. Okay. I, I, well, I know they're excited. playing at the playing at the hard rock and you know the, no that's just part of their routing and their booking agent i saw that they had a date in tulsa i thought that's great i'd love to love to come there and see see it because i love the hard rock and i love going over there and those folks have always been great to me but um if i happen to be in the area i'd love to go to the show but no i didn't have anything to do with that yeah we have uh, a lot of people in the chat room that we do our shows live and so that way people can come in and ask questions and, and this and that and one uh a matthew Kahn asked uh, please ask eddie how he likes the ufo drum head i made him for his birthday and how's it hanging I actually, office studio i have a picture of that if i can find it I oh did, really i did put it on here i'm just having a little trouble finding it on my screen here do you but remember I someone getting you a drum head 
uh, not only do I remember it, but if I walked away from the screen in uh, for 30 seconds, I could show it to you on camera because I have it right here. <laughs> well, I, I want to tell you something. I've got the picture of Matthew and you and the drum head. And here's what he said to me. He said, tell him to not have Jim Florentine and Don Jameson babysit and let his kids draw all over it like they did his UFO <laughs> album. <laughs> that was a, yeah, that was a bit we did in that metal show very, very early on. But yes, I have it. It's actually here at my place in Vegas, and it's proudly displayed, and I thank him for it. That's super cool. Super cool. Teresa, did you have some more questions uh, from the viewers that you can read? I do. Okay. Um, going back to Ace Freely, Todd Autry wants to know, um, there was apparently an Ace sighting in uh, Tulsa a while back, and did you have the scoop on that? Hmm. Ace in Tulsa? Um how long ago would you say? Do you have an idea how long ago? I don't think was it? he said. I don't think he said on there. He hmm. did not. But okay, maybe the he only can... thing. Go ahead. Well, the, beyond him playing a show, maybe in the area, which I don't know if he did or not. I mean, he did play. He did play at Rocklahoma uh, on Doug's stage. I know that. So I don't know if it was around that time. But the only other thing I could think of more recent to that is I actually had dinner with him here in Vegas a few months ago because he was driving with his daughter. Ace lives in New Jersey, not far from where I I live full time. Mm -hmm. And he was driving cross country with his daughter to relocate her to San Diego. And he came through, he made stops along the way. And I saw him on the way here in Vegas, we had dinner together. So unless he happened to be cutting through Tulsa, I don't right. know, but that's the only thing I could think of beyond if it was for a gig or something. Well, wow. hey, while we're talking about Tulsa and Scott, I'll let you have the next You're one, good. but I want to go ahead and bring this up. Um, you are going to be coming to see us. I, I hope we're still your second home. Maybe Vegas is. He now. just <laughs> said Vegas was. Maybe we're your third home now, but this is really We're exciting. moving down the ladder. That's okay. That's, that's no, Tulsa no, for no, you. No. No, I'm joking. Hey, uh, DEB Concerts, our good friend Doug Burgess, and we know he and you are, are very good friends. But we're excited that you're going to be coming to the BOK Center to host both of these shows, Megadeth, Lamb of God, and In Flames on Saturday, April 30th. And then we've got Poison with Cinderella's Tom Kiefer and L.A. Guns on August 20th. T tell us a little bit about, we know you love Tulsa because you've told us you do, but tell us some of your favorite things about when you do get to come back here and hang out with us and talk a little bit about your relationship with Doug because let me tell you what, Doug is beloved here, and all of us metal and hard rock fans owe him a debt of gratitude for keeping this scene alive here in Tulsa. Well, yeah, no doubt. I mean, Doug uh, Doug and I, Doug was here with me last weekend, and we went to Metallica together and went to see Mammoth and Dirty Honey together, and that took him to see Carrot Top. We had a great time last weekend uh, here in Vegas. So, yeah, um, great guy, a generous guy, a fan of rock, a big supporter of rock. He's been great to me over the years as well. And uh, yes, we've become very good friends. And I'm thankful that he adds me to all of these rock events that he's done, whether it was when we were doing the IDL ballroom stuff or now that he's doing some shows in the big place in, in BOK. I've never actually been in the BOK Center. I've heard it's great venue. Yes. So I'm really looking forward to actually seeing the, the venue because I've walked by it, but I've never been in it. And obviously these are two great shows that he's putting on. And I think that, uh, you know, for Megadeth and Lamb of God, I, I go back with both bands a lot with Megadeth a, a really long time. I've known Dave forever. And uh, actually his bass player who's, who's in the band now, James Lomenzo, I go back with to the days of White Lion because he was in, he was in White Lion, who I was 
very involved with early on in their career. So James and, you know, and Dave Mustaine, I mean, I've done countless things with Dave over the years. And the rest of that, Bill, Lamb of God, I've done stuff with them over the years as well. I've known Randy for a long time, really all the guys in that group. And uh, they, they are, uh, you know, two of the biggest bands of metal teaming up together. Mm-hmm. And actually the third band on the bill, In Flames, I actually toured Mexico with Deep Purple about four years ago. And In Flames was the support act on the whole tour. So uh, Anders and those guys I hung out with quite a bit, and uh, I know them as well. So that's going to be a fun one. And it's cool about both of these shows because obviously that's a total metal show. And then on the other side, you have more of a hard rock show with Poison, uh, Tom Kiefer, and L.A. Guns. And same deal with all three of those bands. I mean, known them all forever and uh, all good friends. It's going to be a great time. And it's really cool, too, because people in Tulsa, you know, you're going to get to see what as of now is the only Poison headline date that they're doing. Because wow. we all know Poison's on the stadium tour, but they're, they're third builds. This is the so far the only announced headline show that they're doing. And then you get the other two great bands on it as well. So I think they're two great shows. I'm, I'm thrilled to be hosting both of them. I love coming to Tulsa. I truly do. I mean, uh, from the first time I came there in 2007, the, the fans have been so cool to me and so appreciative of me. And it's just been, it's been great. I mean, I, 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 I tell the story all the time. It's like very first time I came to Tulsa was 07 for the first Rocklahoma. I was approached by the people that were running it at that time. And they were like, man, you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be, um, you're not going to like Tulsa, man. You're New York guy, New Jersey guy. It's not, it's going to be a whole different world. You're going to be shocked. It's going to be, and I, I couldn't have liked it more because of those reasons, because it's so different. And because the people are so, you, you guys don't get as much stuff there as like New York city. So you're really appreciative of what you do get. Right. And it's just a great community of rock fans. I've said it in countless interviews. And when I go around the country, it's a place where there's just so many great rock fans that really appreciate when you come there and uh, and support, truly support what you do. So I'm psyched to be back. It you know, really bummed me out when IDL went away. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I hope, and I know Doug's working on some new things as far as that's concerned, but it's great that he's got these bigger shows happening and I appreciate him bringing me back for him. For sure. Now, you're all over the place, like I said earlier. Give the viewers an explanation where to catch you on Sirius XM because I know you I know you're on volume and you have you know trunk nation stuff going on you know you're on hair nation where where can people find you to just kind of break it down for them okay so I do six live radio shows a week on Sirius XM Monday through Friday I'm on live every day two to four eastern time so one to three there in Tulsa on a channel called volume which is channel 106. Yeah. The channel was launched over five years ago. It's an all music talk channel. It's nothing but talk calls and interviews about music. I do exclusively rock. And uh, in addition to the uh, two to four Eastern slot, the show replays every night, 10 to midnight Eastern. And then everything I do there is archived on the app. So if you can't listen in either of those windows, you can go to the app, you can listen to the full show, you can pull out just the interviews. There's also a lot of video up there. Some of the stuff I do is, is captured on video. I just did a big special with Slash in L.A. that was pro shot. 
the whole band. They played four songs for me exclusively, full on electric in the uh, studio we have there in LA for Sirius XM. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing great stuff there on a daily basis on volume. It's uh, It's been a blessing to have that job and to be doing that. And then for the longest time, I've been doing a daily show, a weekly show on Hair Nation, which is channel 39. And I only do that on Mondays and that's from five to eight Eastern. So four to seven uh, there in Tulsa in that part of the country. And that's live and it's requests and it's music and it's talk and it's calls. And that's a lot of fun to do. That's been going for over 20 years, started on the Boneyard channel and then about 10 years ago, moved over to Hair Nation. And uh, I love doing that. Uh, That's been going for so long now, trying to get people to understand that the volume show is like where all the interviews live. Mm -hmm. And that's come over time, but it was a brand new channel. So it took time to get volume established. But yeah. it's totally humming right now. But uh, the sixth show on Hair Nation is a lot of fun to do. And I do that when I can do it, because to be honest, when the daily show started, that became the priority. And that has me traveling and that has me doing a lot of big stuff. So sometimes like things overlap on Mondays. Hair Nation's only on Mondays. So if there's a conflict or something gets in the way, I miss that show. It's only one time a week. The volume shows five days a week. So that's really where the priority has been. And then above and beyond that, there's a podcast for people who don't have Sirius or XM Mm -hmm. that repurposes some of my interviews. That goes up every Thursday. That's totally free wherever you get your podcasts. And you can, um, that's just just one interview that I may have done on the radio from a week or two ago. Just another way to repurpose it and put it out there free to the world and to people in the U.S. who who don't have Sirius or XM. And then I have a terrestrial radio show that's been going for 39 years and that is in about in about 20 cities right now including new york city which is where it kind of started so the fm radio is once a week the hair nation things once a week and then five days a week on volume those are my primary shows see that was the whole show just him explain just him explaining his schedule his schedule is basically a full show for us well i i mean it's i just get tired listening to and then look in all of eddie's free time he also writes books and i've got a picture of those up we have a copy of volume one i i do not yet have volume two but i want to talk a little bit about these books and then we've got to get to some viewer comments and questions because we have uh, several in here but let's talk about your books. We um, we just had uh, Jizzy Pearl on with us not too long ago. And, uh, you know, it's been a pretty wide gap of time between his last book and this one he's just put out. So when I asked him this question, I was fully expecting him to say it took him years to write it. Well, he ended up telling us that it took him like a few months to write it. And it's like over two or 300 pages, I think. When you write your books, is it... Does it just pour out of you? I mean, are all of these memories that you are recounting very fresh in your mind, or is it something that's pretty laborious and takes you quite a while to pour over it and decide what goes in and what stays out and what order you want to put it in? What Talk about the, the process of writing your books. Well, those two books that I've done so far, were they were time-consuming, and those books are kind of like a hybrid of a photo book and my stories. The first one, by the way, is no longer in print, which bums me out, but it sold a tremendous amount. And I'm seeing them going going on eBay for like 200 bucks, which is crazy. Uh, I'm hoping to get it back in print. Second one, I think, is still in print. Uh, Different bands in the second one than the first one. But those two books were more my stories and, and more about the bands and photos with them and some stories. 
not necessarily so much my personal story. Those books took time to do because I did them with a publisher. I had an editor. She had a lot of things that, you know, ways she wanted things done. And she worked with me a lot on them and was, and was really valuable in, in helping to shape them. And again, the first one did really, really well because the first one has the bigger bands in it. That's why it did better than the second one, although the second one did quite well. The book, um, uh, so I had a, I had deadlines and things I needed to deliver by a certain time when I did those books mm -hmm. because I had a, a publishing deal to do them. The, I started working on a book that a lot of people have asked for from me, which would, is my autobiography, my story of starting in this business and 40 years in it. And I started working on that just on my own about, gosh, eight, nine years ago. And I'm maybe halfway through it. And I just stopped. Mm -hmm. And I have, you just heard my schedule. It's like, I just have not had time to sure. resume it. And every day is another chapter, actually, because I'm still living this world that I'd like to do. So I really need to get the discipline, which has to come from me to sit down and want to do it. Sure. And a lot of times I like to, when I had the time to write, it was on planes because you know, coming to Vegas is six hours outbound for me from Jersey. So it's okay. I could work on the book, but I got to tell you, I get on the plane and I just like, I don't want to do that. I just want to read or mm -hmm. I want to, I want to watch a movie. I just want to decompress. So I've been lazy about it. I admit that. And I really do want to finish it and I need to finish it. The big difference is I don't have a deal for this uh, book. My plan for this book is to finish it and then shop for a publisher. And that's good and bad. The bad part is I don't have an editor saying, you got to get me this by this date. Right. So without timelines that I have to hit, I've just let it sit. And that's the kind of part that's messed me up a little bit. But I do really want to do it. People have asked me about it. First two books were a blast to do. They were both very successful, different kinds of books than the one that I will come with next, which will be more an autobiography of, of the kid that started in this and lasted this long. Man, we're going to want that for yeah, sure. And I'm sure he's going to have a chapter about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which, you know. <laughs> right. Everyone knows. If anyone knows Eddie Trunk, we know about your uh, your feelings about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and of course Dolly Parton. Um, I guess came out just recently and said if she if she does get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that she will put out a rock album. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic! That's great. Good for Dolly. Yeah, no that's kidding. great to hear. Okay, no so you I'm know. actually I'm actually a voter uh, for the Hall of Fame. I'm actually, uh, I've actually, actually have a full vote and have for about 10 years now for the Hall of Fame. So to their credit, even though I've killed them, they've, they've been willing to give me a seat at the table, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. So we'll keep pecking away. Sure. I don't know how much print I dedicated my book to the Hall of Fame, and, but I mean, there, I have a few stories. I mean, I definitely have a story about when Kiss went in and I sat with Ace, but I'll definitely uh, probably include something like that in there for sure. But yeah, that's the thing. The thing, if I don't write it soon, there's, you know, there's another chapter that I'm living every day. So right. I have to kind of do it at some point, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Okay. I've got to get to some of these viewer comments for you. So Tim Petrie says, Paul Stanley once said, when you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. Do you feel that way also? No. <laughs> <laughs> you work. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I love what I'm doing. And I couldn't, I don't know what else I would be doing. I mean, Zach Wilde once said to me, uh, he calls me Father Trunk. He's like, Father Trunk, if you didn't do this, you'd probably be homeless right now. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right, because this is all I know. 
But that being said, I am extraordinarily fortunate to be doing what I love. But there are days that it's work. I mean, there's days where you deal with a lot. You're still working for people, with people. There's compromise. There's days you just don't feel like getting up. I mean, this morning, I did not feel like getting up at uh, 9 o'clock Pacific time because I went out with some friends last night and being on the radio. My show starts live daily at 11 a.m. Pacific. I didn't, you know, so so sure, you know, is it, it you know, it's, I call it work. You know, I put air quotes around it because I drive down the highway and I see a guy digging ditches. That's work to me. Sure. Uh, you know, the people wait, work 10 hours a day, whatever they're doing, that's work. I've wor- And I've had jobs like that. I've worked in a car wash. I've worked in a hardware store. I've pushed carts in a grocery store. I've done a lot of like that kind of work. But so I don't consider myself what I do at all as hard work, but I work hard at it and I put a lot into it for sure. So yes, it is what I love and I'm blessed and fortunate to be doing it. But I I think if you're really going to be good at it, you've got to put some work into it and really, you know, drive, you know, drive hard every day to, to, to do your thing and continue to build it and continue to be on top of your game and be a pro. So yeah, it definitely takes some work, but it, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Sure. I, and- uh, Travis Arnold in the chat room says, tell Eddie I actually helped Zach Wilde cut and install the first chains on his Les Paul at Home Depot in Farmingdale, New York on wow. a late snowy uh, near Easter night or something like that. That's amazing. I believe that. Zach is originally from New Jersey. People don't know that. His real name is Jeff Wyland. I saw him playing on the club scene in New Jersey in a band called Zyrus. That's where Ozzy discovered him, changed his name, and the rest is history. Great guy, real dude, the best, and uh, it sounds about right. We've got another question from Dustin Little. He's one of the sponsors of our of our show here. He says, "Tell us your thoughts for those who have never heard you explain it. Why don't why you don't use the term hair metal? Because in my view." If you look, if you lived through the backlash that those bands endured, which if I'm being honest, they still are trying to recover from many of them. You realize that that term was developed by bands and journalists and critics to diss those bands as a condescending term. The whole point of it was to brand those bands as style over substance, meaning all they were were hair and makeup and they couldn't play and they were a joke. And I never believed that. I believe that some of the most talented musicians are from those bands. So it hurt, that term hurt those bands tremendously and it conjures up the image of them just being a joke, style over substance. It was done to demean those bands. Mm -hmm. And although over the decades, it's interesting what's happened where people have kind of used it as a rallying cry for those bands and used it as a term of endearment I still look at it only that way. And most of the bands do too, by the way. Most of the bands don't want to be defined by what their hair looked like 30 years ago. Every decade, every era, every genre had its look. I don't look the same way I looked 30 years ago, 35 years ago. Most people don't. So everyone had a, you know, just a fashion of that time. And I just think that it marginalizes the music a lot when you brand it with just what their hair looked like. And I know for a fact that there's still people, still bands trying to recover from this, and there's still bands that are hurt by that branding. And I believe when it's used, it really uh, keeps them in a box that's really hard for them to break out of. Now, all that being said, if people want to use it, that's up to them. I don't 
people can do say whatever they want. Right. That's how I feel about it because I know how hard these bands got hit. And that term led the charge in branding them as a joke. And that's what it was developed for. And, and that was kind of explained by D. Snyder in that uh, Reels documentary yeah. about um, the Great White. The Guest List. The Guest List show. Oh, I'm yeah. not sure if you saw that or not and how he kind of uh, named a lot of bands like Aerosmith and others who who didn't want to be connected with that term and with that kind of genre of music. And that's why they didn't go out there and, and do, and do those shows. Show. And we had Jack, Jack Russell on uh, a few months ago, you know, before that even came out. And, and uh, so, you know, all of that is, you know, is disheartening for sure. It just, it depends upon your age group. I mean, I'm 57 years old. I was right in the heart of that. Most of the bands that we're talking about that would be branded that are all around the same exact age as, as I am. And if you lived through it, you know how harsh it was. You know how brutal it was. I personally was doing radio at that time. I watched as a program director came in and pulled every 80s rock CD out of the library Jeez. and said, we don't play this anymore. This is nothing but hair band, hair metal junk. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's, re it's just ridiculous and it's sad. And there's never been a scene that got more crushed than that scene. So I've always defended it. Sure, like anything, there were good, there was good bands and shitty bands from that era. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And I do agree that it got overblown at some point. But still, I just think that some of these bands have made strides. We're seeing these bands. Look, Poison playing BOK Center. I mean, po that could have never happened 20 right. years ago. Right. Uh, never. I mean, that was, they were, you know, just crappy hairband stuff. So there's been progress, but we're still far from, uh, you know, past the marginalization of that music. And for me, that term just, again, is condescending and it brands the bands as the, as just being about hairspray and not about great songs and great playing. And many of them had great songs and great playing. So I everything agree. you just said is why I struggle with the band Steel Panther. And I don't know, I, you know, don't, I'm not, there are no gotcha questions on here. I, we're just having a conversation no, with, with a friend, but that is why I struggle with them because, okay, you can't deny those guys are incredible musically. But let's face it, it's it's built around the premise of it being a joke. The lyrics are, are joking, you know, they're over the top outlandish uh, garb is, it's poking fun at it. So like, I'm trying to figure out, are these guys paying tribute to that era or are they making fun of it? Either way, they're making bank off of it. But I mean, yeah. do you struggle with them like I do? I, I don't struggle with them. I don't, I'm not. I have to be really careful about this because people yeah, take this do. completely out of context all the time. I love those guys personally. Uh, they're great people. They're great musicians. But I agree with you completely in the sense that it's it's a parody. It's a spoof of an era. And here's the thing that blows my mind about that situation. There are people that are fans of theirs that are not in on the joke. And I run into them all the time. So the people that will take exception to what I said or what you just said are people who don't get the joke. And that's mind-blowing to me because there's people that are younger and they just they don't get that it's right. a parody. They don't get that it's a spoof. And it's not just them. I've never been a fan of any parody spoof bands. It's yeah. just not my thing. It's sure. 
it's it, to me it's it's silly it's goofy it, it okay if people are into it great there are so many bands out there that are writing and crafting songs and trying to get a leg up and trying everything to get attention and get something going for their group that that's where my focus is and again it's not just them there's there's a lot of other sort of spoof parody bands comedy bands that have landed on my radar that it's just not it's not something i'm interested in yeah nothing to do with them personally i know them i i spent a lot of time with ralph the singer at the last oklahoma i think it's awesome what they've um, been able to build just in terms of following around the world and they're doing well with it more power to them it's yeah. just not for me as a personal taste thing and yeah i mean you can't deny that it's a spoof of the 80s it's a parody and as the british would say they're taking the piss yeah. and for people what? that are into that great sure, it's yeah. not my thing and sure. i find the vast majority of people that are into it are younger people who are not in on the joke and that that just floors me but i run into them all the time right. they don't get that it's a that it's a goof on an era sure go ahead scott oh um well i i i just wanted to say one thing that i i know when i do watch people enjoying their show they are having a good time and and enjoying it and that is you know a plus for me as long you know they're still out there they're great musicians they're rocking they doing their thing and, and as, as long as people are having a good time for me i don't it doesn't bother me as much now the constant vulgar uh you know uh, cuss it's words pretty, you know, I mean, other I'm word. not, yeah i mean i'm not i nothing bothers me my all-time favorite comic is andrew dice clay so nothing bothers me <laughs> right but yeah it's it's pretty over the top some of the stuff in the songs and in the lot but yeah i see these young people and they're just like ah you know Right. And and that's great. You know what I've always said about them? And again, they don't have to do anything for me because they're doing great. I'm actually hosting a thing that they're doing. They're playing the Rainbow 50th anniversary party in April, and I'm hosting it. And I'll happily bring them on. People who are into them, have fun. I get it. There's a ton of bands that I'm kind of indifferent about. Right. But the thing I've always said about them is I would love, because they are great musicians. Ralph is a great singer. I just saw him at the whiskey recently um i would love if those guys even if it was on the side of this band did a serious band right i would love that like because russ uh satchel phenomenal guitar player he Absolutely. was in he he's a great player um i said many times that uh ralph aka michael should uh, he should have been the next singer in van halen uh yeah. So I would love to see them do like a full on serious all out rock thing, even if it was under their own names or without the costumes. They again, they don't have to do anything for me. They're doing just fine. I'm just talking as a fan because they are so talented as musicians. I'd love to see an alternate band where they drop the facade and really just go for it and came out with like a legit like you know not songs hey i want to bang your mother songs and just right. like you know come out and do a real rock because they have it in them they've all done it before i agree yeah. totally i think we have some more uh questions in the chat room yeah that is a good segue into this if you eddie trunk could have your own 80s rock band dream you're on drums who's playing with you i'm playing drums yes what would you like to play Oh, I would like to be the front man, of course. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Eddie Trunk is the front man. Then who is playing behind you? Who's your who's dream your, band? Who's your 80s rock band dream? Dream. 
eighties. Yeah. Like eighties guys, eighties guys. And you, uh, I don't know. My lead guitarist, I'd have two guitarists. So I'm going to just throw names out. I have, okay. So I consider Eddie Van Halen seventies. So that'll cut him out. So that'll help me out a little bit. Um, using that as a backdrop of, of removing him. I would have like uh, Nuno Betancourt and John Sykes as my guitarists. Wow. That'd be a tremendous. I would, I would have probably B Billy Sheehan as my bassist. And I would have uh, a guy named Brian Tishy on drums. He's one oh, of my sure. favorite drummers. We know who that is. Yeah, he was on that metal show. Yeah, and I'd probably somehow crowbar in Richie Cotson doing something because he's also one of my favorites. There you go. That's a hell of a band. Oh, my God, yeah. Mike Portnoy's going to kill me. Something uh, like okay. got me in trouble. Uh, I forgot we'll, about we'll Portnoy. One, two numbers. Let's just say this. Basically, it would be the winery dogs with me fronting it instead of there Richie. There you go. It would be a four-piece. Okay. <laughs> hey, uh, can I go ahead? Uh, just recently, we were at in uh, Key West, and, and we were there for the uh, Rock Island Festival and me and Janet were out there and um you know it was just kind of it was really cool to get up go somewhere in January of course where it was warmer <laughs> but then there were some days it was started getting kind of chilly out there but tell me what did you feel uh what your experience out there was that your first time in Key West or yeah I had only walked through it once for an hour or two on a cruise stop so it was the first time I've ever spent any extended time there really cool place I could have done without the roosters waking me up every morning but <laughs> Outside of that, yeah, I you know living pr predominantly in New Jersey, being being able to get to uh, being able to get to Florida in January was great. Uh, it was great to see so many rock fans out there. I think it went over really well for a first year event. Everyone I talked to had a great time. Everybody's looking forward to the next year. I think it'll just grow and get bigger and better from there. Yeah. I like the venue. I like the setting. I like being in that area. I, I just thought it was great. I didn't hear one negative about that event from anyone. And trust me, I hear negatives when people mm -hmm. don't like something. So I thought, I think it's off to a great, great start. Sure. Yeah. Hey, I, I was amazed on how he, uh, how you auctioned off those guitars. Oh my God. And how much money those guitars. Ooh. I mean, talk about, thousands of dollars yeah. for guitars it was that, just like amazing. that went to charity right yeah that was for charity yeah that reminded me a lot of rocklahoma because that's something i do a lot every year at rocklahoma and we the people at rocklahoma are tremendously generous with those auctions that i do there for charity and uh that was equally generous there in key west and that was that was really great to see and yes all that money went to charities I want to loop back real quick. We talked a little bit about the guest list and, and you were actually featured in that. And, you know, I have to be careful what I say too, because I, I don't want to say anything offensive, but when I saw that reels was going to be the outfit, putting that out, I kind of thought, all right, what, what's, what kind of spin is going to be on this? I actually thought they did a, a pretty good job. What was your, what was your feeling of how that finished product came out? Did you feel like it was well done and represented all sides? Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a super sensitive subject, understandably. It's a very tough subject, understandably. People land on all of that a lot of different ways. Really important to note about the Reels thing. Reels did not produce that. They had nothing uh -huh. to do with making that. Okay. That was done by a director named David Bellino. He had worked on that for years. And as a finished product, he simply sold it to Reels as the broadcast outlet. Gotcha. So that's why it's different looking and feeling than some of the other shows that are on there that I'm also in many of them. Yes. But um, 
the 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 thing about that film was that was done that had been worked on for years even the segment i'm in i was that was they shot me like seven years ago and i thought that that was never coming out i i was shocked when they called me recently and said that that film was coming out and that was going to be on reels because i figured it had it had not right. seen the light of day it was it was you know shut down um so yeah, it was not produced by Reels. Reels was just the outlet to air it. Gotcha. And going forward, the director is looking now to do that. He shot 350 hours of footage for that. Ooh. And he's looking now for a way to do it as a streaming thing, as like maybe a five-part series. He definitely has a much longer cut, much longer version of the story he wants to tell, but he couldn't pass up the opportunity to have it shown on TV. And uh, that's where the Reels angle came in on it. Yeah. And like you say, it's just such such a hard topic, just probably one of the most horrible things ever to happen in our genre of, of, of music. And like Scott said, we talked to Jack a few months ago and I worry about him. I cannot imagine what it's like to wake up every morning. And, and I'm sure I'm sure not a day goes by. He doesn't think about that. And of course, a lot of people really fault him. And, you know, God knows. I mean, it was an unfortunate event where a lot of people made poor choices obviously no one tried to kill anyone it, it was just a terrible thing but jack seems like a broken down man and i i you know we we watched him at rock island fest and i certainly hope he's doing okay yeah yeah i mean it's tough all the way around the tour manager went to jail for that jack lost a band member in that obviously uh so many people died or so many people were in have been injured when when we used to have people come to tapings of that metal show that were, were in that fire. We used to always talk to them, put them in the front row. Wow. It's a horrible, horrible thing that we obviously have to be aware of to make sure that it never happens again. I thought that the director did a fine job striking a balance there, um, you know, with talking to some of the survivors and, and showing all sides of it. But yeah, it's a very, very tough situation. It's a very, lot of raw emotions. I went to the screening for that film in LA and uh, the director had told the story before he started the screening. And he said to he said to the audience, he said, you know, I'll sum this up by when I went to talk to Lita Ford about this subject. And I told her what I was making a documentary on. And she said, my God, why would you want to do that? Mm. Just because it's so hard to to, uh, to 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 put your head around. But he felt it was important. It was important to get the story out. And it's important for uh everyone when we all go to shows to be aware of our surroundings and uh yes. you know hopefully we can you know all take something from it but yeah the lives lost will never never be replaced and it's just uh it's beyond tragic that's for sure you know one of the big things here in Tulsa was when we celebrated your birthday and it was at the IDL ballroom <laughs> and you know Sebastian Bach um you know all of this and there was a birthday cake that was involved and oh i know sebastian <laughs> clubbed you with that cake and everyone in the crowd cuz we were all in the crowd and we were kind of worried for you there yeah. for a minute cuz we were like man cuz it the way it looked live was bad. you know i i seen so many different angles where it looked hard and then it looked like it was kind of a soft hit and it's all like these the different things film. <laughs> But if it was a soft, you know, throw down to the stage, you know, you could be like a wrestler or something. But uh, explain that uh, experience a little bit. <laughs> it actually made the news. It did. Well, I 
I never exploited it. Uh, I know there's videos of it on YouTube, but if you notice, I never once tweeted it, posted it, called attention to it. And the reason for that is because, not that I was embarrassed or anything, but because Sebastian felt so bad about it yeah. that I didn't want to pile on to, to him because <laughs> it was not, it was an accident. He did not intend for that to happen. So I just felt like, you know, let's face it, he gets, there's, there's a lot of people have differing feelings about him and his stuff over the years. I'm like, I know this was an accident. I'm not going to blow it up because people find it, talk about it. That's fine. And mm -hmm. it, thankfully at the end of the day, I did not get seriously hurt, but it was very scary because uh, if I would have landed on a piece of equipment or hit my head, we could have been having a very different conversation right now. No yeah. But uh, I, And I should have been, knowing Sebastian my whole life, I should have been aware on on guard to know that he might do something like that. Yeah. But I, I just wasn't. I had had a couple of drinks. I was enjoying the night. I was enjoying the band. It was the end of the IDL. The, my birthday was really not for another couple months, but they did an early party. Very right. kind. Doug made this gigantic cake. So it was all great. What people don't know is that cake was on almost a piece of plywood. It was in the refrigerator. It was partially frozen. Mm. I was completely unaware for that to happen. I turned into it. Sebastian's even bigger than me. So he put a lot behind it, maybe unintentionally, uh, not maybe, certainly unintentionally. And it just caught me uh, between a bunch of drinks and not being ready. It just blindsided me. And I fell on my one butt cheek. And again, <laughs> thankfully, I did not hit my head or my back because I could have been really badly hurt. Yeah. I was black and blue from my, the whole back of my leg through my upper back for a long time. Oh but again, he must have called and texted me a thousand times. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I can't believe that happened. I didn't mean for it to happen. So it's all good. It was, I was, ne there were a lot of other people way more upset about it than I was. And I was the one that took the hit. Mm -hmm. um, Jericho, Chris Jericho texted me after he saw it and he said, Dude, I'm gonna get you in the WWE because if right. you take a fall like that, right. I got a gig for you. That's hilarious. that's awesome. So it's it's was you know again it could have been a really really bad thing. I got we all got really lucky that it wasn't, sure. and I just chalk it up to a silly night and you know just having some fun and everybody having a few drinks and right. he, he did not mean ill at all by doing that. Yeah, that's what we figured. We've got one more viewer question. We'll start wrapping this up. Thank you again for your time tonight. But uh, Melanie Yielding Hall says i'd like to know if eddie has a band he's seen recently that he thinks will be big stars one day and someone that we should know all about yeah there's a bunch i mean i'm super excited about the young bands that are coming up there are so many of them that i really really like now what, honey dirty D honey dirty, dirty honey. i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah certainly dirty honey Certainly Mammoth, although Wolf is not necessarily young and still on his first record, uh, certainly not young, but they've been around for about 10 years. I absolutely love Rival Sons. Mm. I love the struts, what they do more on the poppy side of things. But there are other artists that are kind of bubbling under even way lesser known than them, like uh, Jared James Nichols, who's a fantastic guitar player, singer. There's a band out of Canada called Broken Love that I like. There's I'm, I'm forgetting probably a zillion of them, but there's so many that I'm really encouraged by. And I just hope that they can break through. You know, I hope that they can get over the hump. The band that's gotten the most over the hump by, by far, and I just saw them open for Metallica, 
is certainly Greta Van Fleet as far as young bands. They're doing extraordinarily well. I'm still not quite sure what to make of them. I'm happy that they're doing well, but I'm still not. I'm still trying to figure out what what's going on in their songs. And there's there's bands I like, uh, you know, even more. Uh, the Pretty Reckless, still a relatively new band, but their last record was my favorite record of last year. So I'm, I'm forgetting a ton, but there are a lot of really encouraging, exciting new young bands coming up that I'm um, absolutely keeping an eye on. That's good to hear. And and maybe this is kind of a good place to start uh, ending the interview. But what I wanted to ask you, that's good to hear that you're excited about new bands coming out. Do you have in your mind like a kind of a mile marker that you want to reach as far as this is when I'm going to wrap up my career and retire and ride off into the sunset? Or do you feel like enough new great music is coming coming out that you're excited to stay on board for quite a while longer? Well, I mean, with what I do, whether it's new bands or old bands, there's always going to be, uh, I deal with both. So there's always going to be something that's, that's not really going to dictate when I end my career. Right. When I end my career is going to be really more about just me personally, how I feel. Um, if I feel I'm still doing a good job, if I still feel there's opportunities, it's really, it's almost like, I feel like the industry will dictate that more than me personally. Gotcha. So, because I could, I could easily do, I mean, the way I, my, general ballpark idea about it is maybe if I can hang in there another 10 years, get me to my mid sixties. And then at that point, maybe not do as much, Mm -hmm. maybe kind of, I don't know, do a podcast a week or something just to keep my toe out there, but nothing major like what I'm doing now, which is six live shows, podcast, FM show, running around the country, running around the world, not complaining at all about that. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm loving that still. Um, and and I love doing it. It's good work for me. And I'm helping the scene, which is all very important. But at some point, just like anybody, whether it's a musician, an athlete, whatever, you slow down, you get a little more tired, you want to start to phase down a little bit, you don't have as much responsibility or what have you in terms of financially, maybe your bills are paid and you want to just kind of relax a little bit more. So I'll get to that point, I'm sure, but it's not going to be dictated by the industry. It's just going to be how I feel. The only way it could be dictated by the industry is if people stop giving me jobs. Like sure. if tomorrow, you know, Sirius XM fired me tomorrow and there's no other place to go or things just evaporated, then it's just going to naturally dwindle and run out. But barring that happening, it's really just going to be me personally and how I feel. And when, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of relax a little bit more. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no matter if it's in New Jersey if it's on Sirius XM, if it's at Hard Rock, wherever you're doing your show, you know, there's always going to be listeners, you know, mm-hmm. even if you do it on your own website and do your own podcast, you know, there's always going to be an audience, I think, for you, um, as long as you're covering, you know, all hard rock and heavy mm-hmm. metal, you know. That's for sure. Well, that's what I try to do, Scott. I mean, that's always been my thing. I stay in my lane. I have a lot of other passions. I mean, I could talk sports. I could talk politics. I could talk movies. I could talk a lot of things that I'm New passionate York Giants, about. Giants, right? Yeah. I mean, all the way. I mean, I could do, but I, I stay, I've stayed in my lane. I know what people come to me for. I want to be an escape from the, the craziness of the world that we're in right now. I want I mean, I can't tell you during the pandemic or during all the political stuff, how many people come to me and say, hey, man, thank you for just giving us an escape from that. Thank you for staying in the rock world and just giving us some fun and taking this, you know, into these stories or these interviews or whatever. So I'm really proud of that. Doesn't mean I don't have other things that I'm passionate about, but I'm proud that people know and they come to me for that. And that's always what I'm going to do. And, uh, 
you know, that is the beauty of technology today. If, if everything else, if everything did go away, and I can't be more grateful to the companies that I work for or the promoters or the people that give me opportunities to host things. It, it, I mean, I'm, I'm so appreciative of that. And I work my ass off to make sure they're happy and I'm fulfilling my end of what they have brought me on for. But um, the, the truth is, I mean, yeah, I mean, I built this following now and this audience from all these different things, TV, radio, whatever, that if I do reach a point somewhere where I'm just going to, hey, I'm just going to do a show a week on my own as a YouTube thing or whatever, I, I'm, I'm confident that I'll have some audience because my audience has been great in following me and coming with me. And look, not everybody is going to like everything I do or say by any stretch. I'm, I'm not, not stupid. I know that. But the majority of people do, and um, it's been it's been great. It's been great to build this community of rock fans and be known as as the guy in that certain world. So I'm very proud of that, and I'm very appreciative of the people that that care about what I do. Well, listen, there are a million podcasts out there right now. We all know that the pandemic brought brought a lot of that on. And for you to come on with us here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it means the world to us. Yeah. We really appreciate all your time. Do you guys have anything before we well, let Mr. I just want to let him know that, you know, we're out here. We're trying to do our thing, you know, and talking to, you know, trying to spread the word of rock and roll. And no matter if we have... 50,000 viewers or if we have a thousand or 2000 viewers for us, it's, it's, it's all about spreading everyone's hard work, you know, what they're doing and, and, and sharing it with the people that, you know, want to come on our show and, 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 and hear the stories. And, and that's what it's all about with us. And it's not really about making money or anything like that for us. We just try to do this just to spread the love around. And, and that's definitely, uh, a good thing for for us and having you on our show we really appreciate that and um i hope you come in and read some of these people's uh comments and everything they have a lot of love for you in here and um we, it's a really appreciated well i i appreciate i i generally don't usually read comments even on social media because <laughs> it's rare that it's all positive right. but to those that are positive thank you i appreciate it and uh, it's great to see both of you. I miss I miss coming there. I miss seeing you guys. And uh, glad that that's going to change soon with the yes. Megadeth Lamb show coming up and hopefully more things coming up soon. But I can't wait to see everybody at these shows. It's been too long since I've been there. Sebastian won't be there, so I'm not going to be taking a cake in the face. So we'll be all good. <laughs> he and, almost uh, was, huh? Yeah. and Well, yeah, that's true, actually. But no, he lives actually in Vegas now. He was at my house last week, so it was all good, and we had a great time. And, uh, I, again, thank you for having me on. I wish you luck with this. And uh, hello to everybody watching, listening, and especially the, the folks at Tulsa. I can't wait to see everybody soon. So thank you. You bet. Amazing. Appreciate you. Thank Eddie you. Trunk, thank you so much. Have a great night. We'll talk at you soon. All right. We'll see you in April. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us, uh, checking out that interview with wow. Eddie Trunk that we got really in-depth with a lot of different issues, a lot of different um, topics, topics and, and everything. And, I mean, just him explaining a lot of how he started with Johnny Z Megaforce Records and, all, and just everything. It was really cool. Very but we'd cool. like to thank uh, Mark Hooper, Melanie Hall, Matthew Kahn, Billy Bristol, uh, Tim. Petrie. Petrie. Ann Hunt, Mike DiPatrillo, Ray, David Reed, Angie Parker, Jennifer Reed Morris. Hello. How are you? And Bill 
Wofford and Elizabeth Talcott. And many more. We yeah, many more. It. I mean, it just keeps climbing. It really well, does. And now it's going down. <laughs> well, yeah. Eddie left. What do you expect? That's it. But yeah, that, w- that was great. We thank Eddie for giving us his time. You know, it seriously, um, we actually, in preparing for this, we watched another interview that he did with a different podcaster. And they were talking about how many of these have popped up in the pandemic. And it's true. You know, I've told the story a million times. We started doing this out of boredom, and then we realized we liked it. And, uh, you know, I kind of equate trying to get your podcast big and popular. It's really no different than trying to make it with a band. It's like, you know, it's just competition, competition, and it turns into a deal like that. But for us, if, if five or ten of you watch it and get something out of it and it brightens your day, then that's good enough yeah. for us. I mean, obviously, we'd like, you know, like for the numbers to grow, and it does by you continuing to watch and share. But um, to get people like we've been able to get on here, I mean, and thank you, Doug Burgess, for helping facilitate that for us. So glad that we were able to talk to Eddie. There was a lot more I wanted to get into with him, but we'd already kept him an hour and didn't want to drag it on too much longer. But um, thank you, Eddie Trunk. Thank you, Doug Burgess. That was an incredible interview. If you missed any of that or if you came in halfway through it, you can catch the replay. It'll be available just as soon as we sign off. Yeah, and if you did enjoy it and you were here during the whole duration of that interview, go ahead and share it on your page, man. Yes. You know, the more views we get, hopefully the more likes we'll get for our stream and, and our page. And it's all about building and, and trying. And it, mid the Midwest, is you know, that's where we're at and that's where we're streaming from. But, you know, we want to talk about all things, you know, that are just going on around, you know, Oklahoma and New York Everywhere. and California and Florida, wherever, you know, wherever rock and roll is, you know, we're based in Tulsa. That's why we're the Tulsa Music Stream. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we're, we're only going to talk about things in Tulsa. But that being said, every guest we do bring up everything that they have done here in Tulsa. It's true. And um, try to um, get some stories out of them. So it's always a fun talk with, with guys, especially someone who a pioneer, you know, who's grown up with all of those 80 rockers that we didn't know, but we knew their music and grew up listening to them with, like you said, with our headphones and our car yeah. stereos, which yeah. I didn't have a car, but I did have a bicycle. <laughs> I had a bicycle stereo. You had your it, Walkman. Was, it was called a Walkman. I understand. Right. So did I. But, but yeah, I mean, Eddie, if you really just let it sink in the gravity of what that guy has done and his role in hard rock and heavy metal and how key he was i mean he he's the first guy to play metallica on the radio yeah. that's a big freaking deal now thank you so much for asking some questions today that, that was, was great yeah that was cool i do want to give a shout out and a thank you to deb concerts identity merch psychomo filmworks okpc greg shipman.com and surviving rock Oklahoma. we're running late so we're going to kind of pick up the pace here uh, the only show we have on the docket at this point, but we are working on booking more, is TMS episode 54, Sunday, March 13th at 6 p.m. Central. We're going to be talking to the bass player for Brett Michaels' band. His name is Norman Voss. He is a super cool guy. We first learned about him out at Rock Island Fest, like Scott was talking about. We had such a great time out there with Elizabeth Nanji. And it was uh, we, ca- we saw him, and he thought, man, that guy is just cool. He's very personable very he's he's really enjoying his opportunity uh, to play with Brett so we're going to find out more about him coming up and that's probably about all I got Jamie Hooper thank you for that amazing intro song we love it it was great Um, go support Jamie 
go see where he's playing out and about in town and go go see him because he is beyond talented. He's super good. What do you got, guys? Anything? You know, I wanted to talk to him about he was at Ace Freely's wedding years, years, years ago in the 70s. So I, th- I think that was the 70s anyway. Oh, Eddie was? Yeah. Oh, he, man. He, there, was, he was there at you, the wedding. You know what I wanted to ask him about? There were several things that we just didn't have time to get into. I wanted to, and I know he gets asked this all the time. I wanted to ask him. He brought up White Lion. I wanted to ask mm-hmm. if he's heard from Vito Brada. Vito's one of the reasons I play. I love that guy. I wish he would have kept playing, but I wanted to ask about him. And I also I think that volume two book, I think there's a section in it where he talks about trying to bridge the gap between members of Doc and and I wanted to get into that too. That would have been good. But what were some of your favorite IDL experiences and shows that you went to? Start with you. Me and you're on cam, by the way. Just so you know, I wish this had a thing that told you when it was on. But it's I'm called, just telling it's you, called a, it's called a light. It's a so low budget or so low budge. That's okay. No, it's a light, and when it, when it's on, the light comes on. Favorite IDL? Well, that's a no brainer for me. Getting playing with Dawkin was amazing all those shows had their own special set of memories and i'm still mad i didn't get a piece of the stage before i walked out of there for the last time but i thought you did i did not i did not i didn't what show did you enjoy at the idl i enjoyed Hmm. all of the tribute shows the rocket science dms shows are always good those were fun yeah i love the iron maiden shows as well oh yeah man sure so the Iron Maidens, and that was with Saxon, I believe, right? Am I right? No, that was with Vixen. Vixen. Yeah. You had the mm, right. Mm. It's Vix, not Sax. Yeah. Did I say Vixen? You what? said Saxon. Oh, oh. Who? Yeah. It's no. okay. Saxon was with um, us and Mudflux. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and they they kind of run together at this point. I'd have to go back and look. It was so. How funny was it that Eddie brought up that he was having work done in his house? And we were we were oh. too. We could have had, you know what? We could have had them stay and work, and and then him have his people, and then we could have just like let, let them come in and sit down and talk to their work people. Have him sit down at at Eddie's microphone, bring and, the and, hammers in, and yeah, I mean it's like there is dust all over our house. There is a toilet sitting in our bedroom. We're not using it; it's just sitting there. But yeah, yeah, it's a it, this place is a mess. So I'm glad Eddie wasn't here in person. Glad we did that <laughs> virtually. You know, we could have an Eddie part too because people want to know who Eddie hangs out with. <sighs> Oh, everybody. You know, do well, you ever see or hang out with Richie Blackmore on Long Island? We missed this one. That was a question. Oh, a lot of people want to know where Eddie is and, and who's he with. Well, oh, no. he was with um, Doug Burgess this last... He was last... with Sebastian Bach. He was with Doug. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hanging Wolf, out with Lars. Wolfgang Van Halen. Oh, God. So. Yeah. I hey. mean, he's hanging out with a lot cooler people than we are. I know. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Wow. I said we. I mean, aside oh. from you and I. Okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're going to get out of here one more time. You can catch us next time. Tulsa Music Stream episode 54 on Sunday, March 13th at 6 p.m. Central when we talk to Norman Voss of Brett Michaels Band. We've had a great night. Nine, we hope your first date, your new job was great. Get your butt back in here for the next episode. We love all you guys. Have a great rest of the week. You jerk. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even have anything to... Th- oh, yeah, I do. You got to be prepared. It's there this is go. ritual now. Make a mess. <laughs> All right. Love you guys and we'll see you next time. Thanks for coming. On Tulsa Music Stream. Have a great night.